it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkyard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. We don't often dig deeply into contract beer brands, but when the media release for Jaraboy landed in our mailbox, it grabbed my attention. Created by an Indigenous chef using Australian bush food ingredients with the assistance of the former Head of Insights, Innovation and Capability with CUB, this startup touched on a number of interesting issues around inclusion in the brewing industry, as well as how to create a brand that, that can find some clear space in the very crowded beer market. Now, when I spoke with Jaraboy's Dal Vakali and Curioso's Adam Murphy, I wasn't disappointed. It's a fascinating chat about beer, food, cultural challenges around alcohol, creating a market presence, and a whole lot of passion. All the things that make brewing such a wonderful industry to be part of. I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Dal Vakali and Adam Murphy, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having us, mate. We're here to talk uh, a little bit about the launch of Jaraboy, which is the new brand that uh, you've, you've launched, Dale, with uh, Adam's help. Um, but I guess as somebody who's come from outside the, the, the brewing industry, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, uh, look, I was chef for 20 plus years, Matt. Um, you know, I started off as a 16-year-old kid as an apprentice chef and um, and slogged my way through for many, many years uh, doing that job and um, ended up with our own street food business near the end there. I had a great job in Melbourne at the uh, convention centre for quite a few years and uh, and uh, I just sort of wanted to work for myself and sort of started to find a um, bit of a passion in the street food industry and started um, thinking about some ideas to get at the farmers' markets and make a bit more of a dollar for myself than outside, you know, working for other people for so many years and start my own small business. So we ended up with a street food business for around eight years down in Melbourne and uh, we did corporate catering for like your um, office spaces in the CBD. We did uh, rock concerts, markets, farmers markets, festivals, everything, you name it, mate, we're all there and um, doing um, bush foods in, infused into the meats as well. Um, we started to do some... Um, we had a nice little menu wrapped around like sandwiches and morning teas and all stuff through Melbourne, um, you know, corporate space and doing, um, you know, Indigenous uh, infused like um, sandwiches uh, to baguettes to all types of, um, you know, um, corporate, um, you know, lunches and, and morning teas. And then um, we, we were at the rock concerts and festivals and doing lots of um, food truck parks and then also breweries. I was doing a lot of stuff in breweries and and I... Um, I just I just started to see, feel this oh something something's here that's something that I wanted to do was you know some of this homebrew stuff that I was doing at home and infusing some bush foods and I wanted to do it into the um and and have some food that matched uh, some beer that matched some of the foods I was doing it just sort of felt like it was the right space and so I mentioned it to uh, a couple of friends in um uh, that I did some you know indigenous um we'd do some uh, once a month would have like a um, uh, business um, catch-up meetings. So everyone that was in businesses down there would all catch up at, at Nag- um, Nagami's, um, like a, a space for Indigenous business. And, we'd, and I was just throwing it out and having a conversation for it with a few, um, you know, fellow friends and stuff that were there and other business people and uh, loving the idea of it and threw the concept out there and the idea of what I wanted to do. And everyone was really uh, embracing and supportive of it and said, you know, let, 
talk about that and come up with a brand name and build off that and we'd build a um a basic brand book to try and capture a name and all that stuff and um it was um really good like the amount of support that I got was great and um that's when I got to meet Adam through a friend as well that mentioned that have a chat with Adam about it so I had a lot of conversation with Adam about it and then um we um we kind of things went on the back burner a little bit sort of um around COVID like it was struggling the business was struggling being food trucks and doing so many weddings and all that it was just like not a lot going on so we um you know we didn't work a lot for over 12 months and um and we sort of packed that up and um you know had to get out of our lease and so on so we ended up um getting up to Noosa and um starting again and 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 doing some stuff up here so then I got re, re, re contact with Adam. There's a lot to chat uh, through there. And the, the very first thing is just for listeners' clarity, uh, you are a, a Monero Nagarago man. Yeah. Where is that from? Which uh, part of Australia, which land is that from? Yeah, so Monero Nagarago is um, from Cooma, New South Wales, the Snowy Mountains, right down to um, Eden Monero country, which sort of borderlines along Victoria into uh, Gunai Kurnai country. Um, so. My great grandparent had moved down into Orbos, which is in Far East Gippsland, and um, from from up Delegate uh, down the, to the Snow River to to Orbos many 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 years ago. Um, my great grandmother was a bean picker, um, you know, for a, an Italian family that had come across to Australia and had some big farms around in uh, East Gippsland. That was the Bacali family, hence my surname. And uh, so my grandmother used to go with her mum bean picking and vegetable picking in the farms, and met my grandfather who was Italian and got married and had. I think it's 10 or 11 children. So <laughs> uh, that's part of the story there. And, and my great-grandmother, Nanagaz, it was, you know, her name was Myrtle Dolly Solomon. That Dad tells me so much story about Nanagaz. I knew her as a young kid as well um, about, you know, she used to um, work really hard on the bean on the bean farm, picking vegetables for the Carly family. She was well-respected in the community being a, an Indigenous woman, First Nation woman, and, um, and she um, was well-respected and, and she enjoyed having a beer as well after work, catching up with people. And that was a great way where she was mingling and getting into into you know having good conversation with um a lot of people around East Gippsland and and so on so um my yeah my Monero Monero Nagarigo background comes from the Snowy Mountains New South Wales into Victoria and then they pretty much established the Solomon family ended up establishing in um in Orbost many years ago. You, you talked about the street food, but have you always been interested in using um, native ingredients in in your cooking, or is that something that you sort of more recently uh, came to? Oh no! This has been happening since I was 16. I started my apprenticeship. I was um I was a young fella, um you know, 16 years old. I walked in to my first year apprentice. I just wanted to cook for some reason. I wanted to become a chef, and I walked into an Italian restaurant, and um you know I was a bit nervous. I didn't know what to expect, and um I'm left-handed as well. And I've walked in there, and and my first head chef I ever met was a Yorta Yorta chef, which is Murray River, uh you know, a Chuka Moama way, and uh, Howard, and he was my first head chef. He was Aboriginal uh, and left-handed, and so. I couldn't have asked for a better place to have kicked off my my career, really. Um, and then we were so inspired then through Bush Foods. But this is back in '96, and um, I ended up working for Howdy, owned his own restaurant down in um, West Garth, and we worked there. And we did a lot of Bush Foods down there. And I I met some other Indigenous um, elders that were doing some Bush Foods and making sort of more traditional type stuff for like cocktail parties. And it was very either traditional back then, or it was in really really high end fine dining. There was no space in that centre there that was um you know looking for this stuff but everything I've done since a young kid I, I danced as a young kid work um you know doing indigenous dancing around um let's say like little festivals opening up spring carnivals and stuff around Melbourne um and 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 playing didgeridoo and always been told to be proud of me my indigenous heritage and 
and learning lots as lots as I lots as I could around my family and always been really proud of that and and dad always told us these and lots of stories and um and then um you know end up I think because of that core value young is where I've always brought it into my cooking or into my uh my my any, anything that I was sort of developing and doing I sort of sent, tend to bring my indigenous pride into that as well and um so yeah I I think that stems from um, having good good um, upbringing in, and being proud of that, and I'm doing the same thing for my kids as well. And just one more establishing question. You talked about uh, running your own street food van. What constitutes street food? It's a pretty wide description there. Um, it, it, was it a particular type that you were bringing the uh, native ingredients to? Uh, yeah, it was. I was, um, you know, looking at doing my own business, so uh, I, I reached out to... Um, IBA, which is Indigenous Business Australia, and asked them for some um, guidance and support around that. Um, give me some a few, um, you know, workshops and stuff to help build myself a business. And, um, you know, this was around uh, 2000 and uh, around 2011-12, I started this conversation. And, and um, you know, I got a bit of guidance there in how to sort of know more than just being a chef. There's so much more around a business, right? So it wasn't just so much jumping in the deep end, but in a sense it was. But I felt there was the the food industry didn't have anything really, um, you know, with the farmers markets in this in this street food. The food trucks hadn't established in Melbourne yet. Um, I was doing slow cooked meats up at the um, creating some great recipe cards at the convention centre and and ideas. And I started implementing some of this stuff, doing slow cooked foods, um, you know, for 16, 18 hours. Look, meats, briskets, roux. Um, salt bush rubs on chicken. I was doing um, some desert lime and pepperberry mayonnaises, um, different types of things where it was infusing it into those foods to kind of bring those like street foods like, you know, meat sliders or little tacos or little like skewers of kangaroo with a nice lemon and uh, desert lime and citrusy type zesty things on the top with a, might have had a yogurt with it, but it would have had some bush foods in that as well. And, And I think that was where it was sort of like started to want to bring it because I wanted to buy the bush foods, but I wanted to use them in a way that hasn't been done really a heap yet so you know you've got your fine dining restaurants using this stuff and it's and and then you've got your you know your more traditional ways of doing it but i thought this is a great thing that no not many people are doing this model bringing this stuff to market especially at the niche market of farmers markets and it wasn't a lot of traction early on the first few years was quite challenging you know making a uh, wattle seed and pepperberry rubbed brisket or then i'd go into kangaroo and people would try it and that was great but all of a sudden you started to notice that there was a bit of a trend there there was these I started getting orders from, you know, um, state government level to corporate businesses to wanting to sort of help, you know, buy from Indigenous businesses as well. And and then it started to become a bit more of a um, a really nice trend and, and, and a bit of a fashionable thing, I think, um, you know, and, and it was a space where a lot of Australia or a lot of people around can eat it. You don't have to go into that expensive fine dining. You can have a taste of this and a taste of that. And it's not too, too like, it wasn't freaking people out eating something that some green ants wasn't you know really scaring people off too much it might have been a garnish rather than <laughs> so, yeah it was, it was good adam we might bring you into the the, the conversation because uh, you do have a background more directly in beer maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your background yeah yeah i uh, i worked for the past six years or so as the the head of insights and innovation at cub and and that was part of a, a longer 12 year stint as part of the the abi network um I started over in the US in the, the global ABI office, or I started in beer um, over there working in insights and on brand. So 
my experience is, is a lot more in kind of the brand marketing and uh, understanding consumers and starting to try to kind of uh, manage portfolio strategy and, and uh, you know, try and find those gaps in the market where there's a, an opportunity for a beer that's going to do something different for people. So, um, you know, in my time at CUB, that was launching things like Carlton Zero when everyone said Australians don't want a beer without alcohol. Well, that, that's kind of worked. And, you know, um, pushing into things like seltzers and um, draft cocktails, uh, these kinds of things where it's always been about identifying a, a spot or a niche that's not yet used and seeing if we can we can open it up. Um, and that's where I, I was at CUB when, when Dale and I met through uh, a common friend, uh, JC, who said, Dale's working on this beer. He was talking with someone else at the time. I think you could kind of do with some of your expertise. So I took a bit of a look at it, uh, at what Dale was doing. And it, it just was one of those things that just stuck in, in my head. So we kind of gave gave Dale a bit of a steer and, and, and uh, let him know some people he, he might talk to that might be able to help progress the idea. And then late, late last year when, um, when I... Uh, kind of uh, pulled up stumps at, at CUB and decided to start my own agency in the, the insights world. It was just in the back of my head. It's such a uh, an interesting and authentic story that that Dale has uh, when he talks about his nanagars loving a beer at the end of the day, and that you know he'd love to do something for her to, to have a beer out there that's kind of got a bit of a indigenous angle to it. But um, but also the way that Dale talked about. Yeah, wanting to use Indigenous ingredients, not for the novelty factor, but to help then support other Indigenous businesses, growers and foragers and, and, and help, you know, uh, help them to grow their businesses and have a greater demand in the supply chain for these ingredients. And it had just stuck in my head. So I just randomly shot him a, ma- a note one day saying, where are you up to? And, and he said, well, I've moved to, I've moved to Noosa because of COVID and, but yeah, I could, uh, I could use some help. So so I've uh, spent some time now over the, the, the past or, or through this year um, with Dale. And we've been looking at, you know, what the brand is really about. It's uh, we really want it to be more than just another beer out there, just a, another set of lagers. Um, and the ingredients is one component uh, and a really important component to what's there because that's uh, that's what Dale's passion has been about. But uh, as we come towards launching, we've, we've really built a platform here to to try to use Jaraboy to be a, a kind of a, a flag for Indigenous excellence and highlight not just Dale, but then we've brought in Indigenous artists to help us do packaging, um, design, artwork for our websites. Um, we've got some of the, the wickedest looking tap handles you, you're going to see uh, in the market. And all these things have been done by bringing other Indigenous artists and business people along the journey. And we, we want that to be what Jaraboy is really about is that there's a, an opportunity and that the time seems right for everybody to want to have a conversation about how we move forward and, and how we progress uh, the discussions around Indigenous culture. And we figured what, what better way than to get people talking than, than over a beer. I should say at this stage that you're a brand advisor to Jaraboy through your own business, which is Curioso, yep. um, which is a brand strategy business. Um, or brand insights business correct yeah yeah that's right i i I think there's a whole conversation that i would love to have with you about uh some of the insights that you raised uh at the start of that introduction but if i can just ask you a very general question you know 22 years along the craft beer journey assuming we track it back Mm -hmm. to about the little creatures uh launch yep 
we, we now have 590-odd physical breweries in the country, still more in planning. To some extent, tastes have changed drastically, but then tastes of the broader subset of uh, beer drinkers probably haven't changed. Describe the contemporary or the, the modern beer market to me in, in terms of how you approach any brand coming to market now. Oh, well, that, that, that could be a really long conversation, Matt, but... Um, uh, don't worry, I'm already having ideas for how we can uh, have yeah, that yeah. conversation, but just... No, uh, look, look if, if I was to, to sum it up, and I've kind of had a chance to reflect now being, apart from working with, with Dahil, kind of taking a step out of the, the industry for a bit, um, I think that we feel like craft beer has been around for a long time, it, it's gotten quite big, um, but when I would look at you know there's a pyramid within that as well right in terms of the top few skews from the the top few breweries that that's that mm. sell the most i think there's still a lot of untapped territory there so still most of what australians are drinking uh lagers or other fairly easy drinking spins on on ales um and what kind of captivates me as a as a marketer is then that a lot of the the brands that have have kind of grown to scale or, or to something bigger out of that have, have found a way to, to stand for something to, to stand out. Um, and there's some, there's probably some formulas in there in terms of, uh, you know, naming and quirk and all of these kinds of things that, that people have used. But when you get a, for, for me, when you get a great brewmaster that's putting out good beer, um, with someone that's then, um, thought about the purpose of the brand and it doesn't have to always be a, a holier than thou social conscience kind of purpose, but knows what the brand stands for and sticks to that um, and can start to build that out. That's when people start to attach themselves to brands where they, they, they want to, you know, kind of have it as their favorite brand because they actually like what the, the brand's about. And that's kind of why we spent so much time with Jaraboy even before we had liquids going to, to talk about, well, what does the brand stand for? Is it just an indigenous ingredient beer does it have a point of view on indigenous affairs and, and indigenous culture at a higher level? And then we talked about what all the, the different points of view there would be. And it's not going to be a brand that's an activist brand that's kind of making political statements. We're really there to try to encourage everyday Australians to you know, kind of look at indigenous culture and be proud of indigenous culture. It's, mm. it's part of all of our heritage and to kind of forge a a united future where we can all proudly celebrate Indigenous culture and uh, and enjoy that. And we've started to see that happening with, with things like the AFL. But but I think that's what's really happened more broadly in the industry is you've got some brands are standing up on the quality of their beer and others are standing up from the others because they they represent something else that, that people want to, to connect with. One of the things that, as somebody who's watched the brewing industry for, you know, two decades now, uh, from that, from those early days of craft beer, and always, it was always couched in terms of a craft beer revolution, as if craft beer was going to come along and replace what went before. Um, if that was your view, I guess to some extent that revolution has failed because the two out, outside of a beer like Stone and Wood, which I think is around about twenty million liters now, you look at a, a brand like Great Northern, um, uh, and more recently uh, Better Beer. Um, are the two brands that have just exploded um, and really taken the market by storm, yep. both of which are very, very contemporary mainstream brands, not craft. Do you think there is still space for, um, you know, 
craft beer brands to 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 launch and and grow i i definitely think there is matt and i think better beer shows that and again the better beer grew or especially kind of grew their reach and their initial um tasting by connecting to something that was really relevant in culture right like literally through you know the the uh the guys that launched it had already a huge following um and great northern worked and and i can say this i wasn't part of cub when it was conceived i certainly was there kind of helping it along for a bit but i wasn't there part of the conception but it it worked because it connected to something that was a really true passionate interest to, of people um you know in terms of getting outdoors and it wasn't the first beer to do that but it contemporized the view of what that was it wasn't you know kind of lazy blokes in stubbies fishing you know it was you know people that people would aspire to be more like and uh and it kind of reinvented that outdoorsy Australian bloke uh, for people. And I mean, it's it just just keeps growing. You almost almost uh, can't stop Great Northern. And I do think that that's what there is there for other craft um, other craft brands to, to to grow is to figure out what am I don't don't just be different for different sake. Like if when I've talked to a few other craft brewers uh, over time, I'm like, don't, don't just be different for different sake. Decide what makes you different. And if that's really relevant to people, um, there is room to grow. And I think just to your your point about the revolution has failed, I people often talk about, oh, if we look back 20 years or I was in the US for a bit and people talk about 30 years ago or whatever like that and the, the growth of things, we shouldn't overlook the, you know, depending who you ask, you know, 3,000 to 1,000 years of beer history before that, um, where there's a reason that, you know, lagers became a dominant style in a lot of the parts of the world, right? And it's not surprising that um, it's harder to succeed with uh, more challenging liquids. And there's there's more of a niche target group uh, of people who are going to really enjoy those. Um, that's one of the reasons that we we did end up deciding for the, the launch here to do three lager styles uh, for Jaraboy as well as we want lots of people to be involved in the conversation. So we wanted to choose a really accessible set of liquids to... To, to get people into that conversation. I, I should just clarify, I didn't say that the craft beer movement had failed. I said, if you look at it from a certain point, then it's failed. So I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't <laughs> want anyone writing to me uh, saying Matt Kierkegaard said. Yeah. To Adam, what Adam said, said then about the lagers, I was really excited because I love a, you know trying so many different beers and making stuff. And I made a strawberry gum flavored beer once. It was into the mash and into the fermentation. It kind of really got that gum tree in it and it was a bit full on but it was a good experience and people were like wow you know friends loved it but i i i i feel like as a chef you know you have your your trends going up and down and all over the place and i felt like oh i was excited doing the lagers because i've i've you know you get into those fruitier fruitier fruity beers and i think that at some point that's going to get to there and then things that people are going to be interested in maybe coming to try something else and sort of and, and go in another direction again i think it could be sort of like a bit of a you know a, a next sort of um, interest to pull back a little bit, I suppose, and enjoy that good, crisp, flavoured beer as well, you know. Um, so I was excited about it and, and sort of felt like that was a good journey as well to go with a good lager to start with. It's not too – because I hear that a lot up here. People are loving all these tropical ales and, and, and Pacific ales and pale ales and all these, but there's sometimes it's just nice to have a good quality lager as well. Oh, absolutely. Before we actually start digging into some of the flavours and, 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 and where the beer is made – I just wanted to have a chat about 
you know, alcohol is increasingly seen as being problematic. And uh, when we spoke to the guys from um, Sober, for example, you know, uh, Clinton Schultz, uh, you know, said that, you know, he was very wary of getting involved in the, the, the brewing industry because, you know, a lot of communities and uh, particularly indigenous community have a, can have a fraught uh, you know, relationship with alcohol and whether it was, you know, an, an appropriate relationship between indigenous culture and uh, an, an alcoholic brand. Is that something that you've thought through or something that you've grappled with, Dale? I, I have had that conversation with, um, you know, with people and, you know, we want to, um, you know, look at this on a positive outcome and say, you know, we're, we're brewing a, a high-end boutique beer to celebrate Indigenous excellence, to um, put our bush foods out there on the pedestal. It's something that 80% of Australians kind of do is have a beer or a wine or, you know, things with food. So we want to focus on that that um, that culinary and that, you know, Gambetto chef-style thing with the bush foods, being, me being a chef in hospitality, that's what I know. That's all I know my whole life as a chef. So for me it was very um, alongside of, you know, matching some great foods in these fine dining and high-end restaurants. I understand that there is some issues out there, but we want to also help in a way for education and to, um, you know, I suppose put a, a good quality beer out there and show the next generation of entrepreneurs and hospitality workers that you can do create create businesses and create jobs. So it's an exciting, um, it's a really exciting time to think of things as a as a modern a modern style focus on doing things in a new way in in a you know in rather than a a um a, a way of of, of of not not putting this straight out there, but to actually do something and say, hey, you know, we can do things besides being a football or a sports star. Um, we can be chefs. We can be um, civilians. We can be um, working in other industries around mm-hmm. there as well. It's not just about just learning and uh, thinking that if you're not going to get your your career as me being a chef, I was hopefully I was going to play football. I thought I was going to play for Collingwood or something like that. I had, you know. I was dirty coming off the footy field and walk into the chef into the chef with a chef jacket on, wash my arms up and get cooking. I wanted to be a footballer, but second round I end up being a chef. So, you know, it's just it's just to also have that opportunity out there to create more jobs and let Australia know that there's so much skill sets out there besides just um, awesome, you know, deadly footballers. We can do a lot of different things as well. And being entrepreneurs and business minded is one of them things that I focus my point on and to you know, also educate as well through this. Through this, yeah. yeah. And I, I think I would just add to that, Matt, that uh, we've been really conscious as we we build a brand and, and as we make choices that we want to, we want to help everybody to see that there is also, uh, uh, we want to encourage a responsible relationship with alcohol. So as Dale said, um, you know, we're not making a super cheap, smashable beer here that's uh, going to go out there, but we also want to, to people. People only hear one part of the the story, and we want to kind of show that there's uh, there's lots of people having a responsible relationship with beer. We have the initial launch lag is at four point two. That's probably as high as we go. We're not going to be doing any kind of imperial stouts, but we also want to use that voice to show, hey, look at all these uh, people, look at all these Australians, including Indigenous Australians, um, in that are enjoying responsibly, um, and try to make sure that we tell that side of the story as well because yes. it becomes a very one-sided story sometimes when you mention Indigenous and alcohol in the, the same breath. Absolutely. And I should stress that that's not a question that's uh, directed only at, uh, you know, Dale and Jarraboy because it's a... Not at all. It, it, it's it's the sort of issue that, uh, you know, return service um, agencies have yeah. also raised, you know, getting involved in alcohol and Anzac Day 
um, sure. collaborations and uh, even cancer. Um, you know, I've been in, involved in a lot of uh, charitable uh, ventures where cancer charities haven't wanted to be associated with alcohol because it's uh, a fraught thing as well. And increasingly, people are starting to to look at it, whereas I'm very much positive, um, you know, projecting the positive consumption patterns and positive lifestyle um, uh, around it. So, uh, but again, it's, it's one of those things I think we would have got questions about if we hadn't raised. For, for sure, I, I, we expect there to, to, to be questions about that. And we actually look forward as we get, get rolling to working with alongside other brands like Sober and Spinifex and others that have got some, mm. some kind of level of indigeneity to them as well um, to help together set a more, more positive tone there. And also seeing in the long run, um, you know, Dale's got, got thoughts about how to also give back and try to help, um, you know, on some of the the, the, uh, the less responsible side of things and how to, through education and whatever, uh, and other programs to, to help on that end of the spectrum as well. Dale, tell us a little bit about the name Jaraboy and where that came from. Yeah, so, um, you know, coming up with our name, we we wanted something that was really um, capturing an audience and, and, you know, it's about branching out I suppose for me it was about branching out and helping in buying products and helping other indigenous um, growers or work or indigenous businesses and so branching out was kind of like the tree the tree boy um, branching out was kind of the Jarrah boy we wanted an indigenous word that's kind of like a modern word that's in, in our you know modern day lingo so it was sort of like Jarrah was a really cool word that kind of really tells the story of it's an indigenous uh, kind of word um, and then also you know, to to um, have that big tree, that big, you know, the jar, the jar of branching out and helping out all the other businesses out there, so we can buy and um, and also, you know, we want to capture the audience of that upper middle class, you know, your white collar, blue collar industry as well, um, and sort of that's, you know, you got trades out there that's that are like, you know, that work in, let's say, builders are going to love the name. They might, you know, they work with wood, so <laughs> it could be. It could be something that I suppose it's little things like that that I think about as a, as a chef and as you know you're naming a menu or something right. You want to capture an audience with words. So um, yeah, I think it's a really cool word that you know the Jarrah also to connect and to branch out and and buy because part of our integrity is buying bush foods, keeping mob on country. You know, creates jobs out on country. You know, the beer beer is something that sells. You know, sixty seventy percent of Australians like to enjoy beer. So we figured this is a good way to to I wanted to do this as a part of you know. Um, buying buying some bulk volume stuff from growers. My bush food in food trucks weren't just enough. Small cafes isn't enough. We've got the fine dining industry doing it, but a great way to do this is helping you know be able to cultivate more land, grow more bush foods, and we can get it out there into the main, I suppose, public eye a little more in a different way, and then um, you know this and hopefully help these businesses grow. Now your first beer is a, a lager, as you said. It's a Tiram Sun. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Tiram Sun Lager named using the cubby cubby word for sun. Yeah. It's a golden lager brewed with Australian hops, malt, and indigenous native yams uh, grown on country. Um, tell us, what do the yams bring to a, to a golden lager? Oh, uh, so, you know, working with Pedro, he's, a, he's, he's great down at Boiling Pot Brewery where we've created my my small homebrew recipe cards that I've done to, to be able to develop them in a large scale. He's a very scientific guy and he's very very intelligent with how he does stuff. So, um, you know, we worked with some lots of different. We tried different different stuff around, and with the yams, you know, we've got the carbohydrates and sugars that get released out of the yams that help in that in the mash to help with the um, fermentation. So, um, yeah, the sugars that is coming out is also adding to that. 
the, you know, to create the beer. But there was that smell and that flavor when you, the earthiness of those yams, which is fantastic. And so what Pedro also wanted to do was that's at the start of our, our process into the mash. And then I finished that with slightly a, a, a hops that kind of balances that as well. That had that kind of same Pedro wanted to work with a, a hops that was very similar. That was very, you know, um, very earthy like, I suppose is what he, he, he explained and the one that he searched for and found. And, um, it's, it's beautiful. Like uh, the, the tiramisu come up really good. The, the yams also kind of add, uh, or oh, we just found it, 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 it gives this kind of really beautiful kind of sunny yellow golden color and just a, a little bit of haze from the, the, the kind of retained sugars that are there. It's, uh, which is, which is why we, we went with that, that name, right? We, we, we just kept talking about the sun. So Dale kind of looked and went, well, what's the cubby cubby <laughs> word? Cubby cubby country is the, you know, the sunshine coast where the, 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 the brew is being made. And uh, I mean, well, it's a beautiful word as well. And it's pretty easy to wrap your tongue around for, for us non-Indigenous guys uh, to be able to say Tiram. Um, and yeah, so that's, that, that's what the yams, uh, yams brought to the table. Now, Adam, apart from being really consistent with what Dale is achieving with the brand, do you think that for what is currently, and we'll, we'll, we'll come to, to, to this, what is currently a, you know, a, a contract produced brand through a partner brewery um, entering the market, do you think it's important for uh, a brand with the values that uh, Dale has explained to have those indigenous ingredients in and the native ingredients in to, to, to add a little bit of um, value to the liquid and not just the brand? Yeah, exactly, Matt. When, when I talked about the, the fact that I reached back out to Dale just because of the, the authenticity of the story stuck in my mind. Um, I've worked with lots of lots of brands over time where both old brands and new brands are often kind of reevaluating values and reevaluating what the brand stands for and trying to find something there. And, and often that can be a bit created and that probably connects back to what yep. we were talking about before about being different for different sake. But sometimes you have to try and find and, and create that. Whereas what Dale had kind of shared with me uh, stuck in my head because there was both an authentic link between what he wanted to achieve in terms of highlighting Indigenous excellence, giving giving um, people a, a brand to be proud of from that point of view, um, connected together with his passion, which you can hear when, whenever he starts talking mm. about the bush foods and the native ingredients um, in a way where I think kind of initially when Dale talked to me, he was very he started with the ingredients, right? He came from being a chef. So he was like, it's, I want to make a native ingredient beer. And then the, the rest of the story started to, to build around it. But it's so authentically part of what Jared Boy is about. I'm not saying nobody could ever launch a, a brand with an indigenous positioning or a First Nations positioning that doesn't have that component to it. But I think you have to have something that makes it legit beyond just, you know, we could have just said Dale is a, first nations man so therefore it's a, mm. an indigenous brand but i think both by, by bringing that that to it it also helps extend the conversation that we want to have like people are going to learn about stuff like yeah yams again first beer yams is something which is familiar enough it's not going to kind of frighten people uh away i guess uh, but they can start to go well hang on putting that in beer is interesting and then mm. the, the the red lager that follows is going to have native australian honey you know that's something else, which is a whole story there about uh, honey and the, the fact that it was so rare because native Australian bees are, are actually quite rare compared to the introduced bees uh, that, that we have now that honey was 
kind of traded as a gift and seen as a you know, prized commodity. I should say that's going to be the Gwangle Red Lager, which is going to be the second beer that you launch. Uh, yeah, which correct. Which features native Jarrah honey sourced from indigenous beekeepers in Western Australia. Yeah, exactly. So, so these are really inherently part of what's uh, what we're we're trying to build is to to be able to have that story there to then tell the story of the beekeepers. We can tell the story uh, of the guys from Something Wild who are growing the native yams on country. We can start to to, to and and. You heard Dale talking before about how we want to have legitimately have an impact on those supply chains, so that so that those guys can also grow their businesses. You know, uh, if if we can get get Jarrah Boy to the scale that that uh, Dale would hope we can get it to, then that's going to make a big impact on the amount of honey that those guys can sell or the amount of yams that they can can harvest and grow. You're right, Adam. That forecasting to be able to grow more stuff in the future is is, is exciting time. I mean, you know, when I was a senior chef at the Melbourne Convention Centre, we worked on this part that was, you know, from farm to fork. So we'd say to a, a small farmer, you know, you can start, if we can take all of your stock, you can be able to now start to do more, uh, you know, breed more cattle or more cows or, or uh, more pigs or, you know, what it was. And then they'd be able to take the stock and turn it into enough stock just to cover the convention centre. And then that was able to then focus on not having to sell it, but focus on definite, definite guaranteed sales mm. to be able to build. And that is that is where my integrity lies and that's important because I want to see mob out on country, growing their farms. We want the food industry, the Indigenous-owned part of the food industry to actually be growing and seeing that they are selling more product as well, and then it's um, and that's important. So, you know, we're creating jobs out there. Um, you know, down the track, I'd love to see Jarraboy buying small boutique amount scales of different types of bush foods and we turn it into something really lovely. And then, you know, that sort of way of giving back to the community down there that, that on that country is a maybe a limited edition type creative drink and you know, being sold and that, you know, helping out these, these these farms that may need something on country is really important. With native ingredients being an important part of the, the, the Jaraboy um, story and also we, we've seen Sober um, as well, um, a, a similar business in the non-alcohol space using native ingredients. I also remember, I think the first time I ever heard of Pepperberry was when James Squire used it uh, probably 15, 16 years ago and... Um, you know, uh, there was a, a brewery called Barron's around the same time using lemon myrtle, um, you know, a lemon, lemon myrtle wit beer, yep. which was a cracking beer, um, and black wattle um, in, in some of their beers. Is it problematic for non-Indigenous brewers to use native ingredients or is that, you know, just uh, a local ingredient that they can use, Dale? Yeah, I think it's part of, um, you know, buying and, and celebrating, you know, all, all, all cultures but what we want to do is there's this ripple effect that that creates when you're buying from you know uh, other first nation businesses we tend to um help each other and support each other around as well so you mm-hmm. you know you want to we want to create that and then you know you always will look after you know your your mob and people on country and and have integrity towards looking after these businesses that only are a small percentage of that bush food industry and i would love to see that change um so i want to support these guys for that one of those reasons and you know, when you're matching like, you know, different types of foods and I mean, I'm out at different types of um, First Nation events often and um, we might do an Indigenous Excellence Awards and we're there and we're eating different, you know, bush foods and all types of beautiful dishes and then we're having an Asahi or we're having a uh, Peroni or we're having a different type of beer that's out there and about and we're like, hey, Dale, you know, we'd really need to see this Jaraboy come up and um, and, and have a, and have a first, you know, First Nation beer as well, celebrating these awards, which I think fits really well. 
with that. So what is the plan for it? You know, would it would it be a dream to see it on Qantas, for example, and people going overseas are drinking, uh, you know, the, the, the Jaraboy Lager rather than uh, a Crownie, for example, as good a beer as Crownie is? Um, that, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Seeing a, uh, you know, an Indigenous uh, native-flavoured beer flying to Australia first time, backpacking to Australia and you get to taste something from that's grown on country tradition. Yeah. That's pretty I, cool. I, I think we definitely we definitely see those as as opportunities, Matt. And and I mean the the first initial um, release of Tiram is uh, is at Peppers Resort uh, up in Noosa where where Dale's based. Um, who we you know we kind of did some stuff with them around Nidoc Week this year pre pre launching the beer. I should say that's with Matt Galinsky, who's a you know incredible champion for local ingredients up that way in, in, yeah. in local businesses. Exactly, and that that connection came through through Dale's connection with Matt through the the chefing world, but um, but then mm. through that connection, Accor, you know, has kind of really interested because that there is a, a bit of a a, a dart for you know a brand which when people come and they come on holidays, what's really Australian for beer and for, for the longest time. You know, my my former mob were telling people you know overseas that Foster's is Australian for beer, but um, I think it's really great that people can come now and either have better great local craft beer in the the places that they're from, you know, a Queensland beer or WA beer or whatever it may be, um, but also to to give the opportunity for people to kind of hold something in their hand which they feel like okay this is different, this is this definitely Australian, and, and that's why we focus on it being an all Australian beer. So the hops and the malt and you know, the, the whole ingredient bill is Australian and then we've got the, the native piece to it uh, as well. And and the can design when it's uh, when it's released and, and everybody sees that's got, you know, got a, bit, a really kind of contemporary Australian feel to it where we've tried to not be, you know, kind of over the top or, or kitschy or kind of, uh, you're yeah. kind of uh, appropriating culture as you were talking about, uh, as you said, but that it's, it's quite clearly Australian, it's quite clearly um, First Nations, but but feels at home in everybody's hand. Dale, last question for you. But you are currently getting the beer made with Pedro at Boiling Pot, great brewery up on the Sunshine Coast. What is, what, what what is your plan? Would you ideally like to see uh, you know a, a stainless steel and have your own pots and pans, or you know is that an unnecessary expense at this stage? What what what's your vision? Yeah, look, it's um you know we want we're starting off you know with a, a beer that you know obviously we can do it just locally and we we want to brew and and get it out there amongst um you know Australians to try and and enjoy and, and celebrate that um we would you know th- I'd love to have a spiritual home for Jarraboy at some stage that would be awesome um just uh we need to build towards that and hopefully we can uh, one day say that we do have a place where you can come in i mean secretly I shouldn't tell anybody but I'm already I've got a few few people like Adam and my wife and Isaac that keep me pointing the needle in the right direction because I've already written a menu for a a small brewery or something that's got all bush food. <laughs> so I can't. They're, I've, they're, got, I've got the plans, but I don't. <laughs> there we go. The the great benefit of building a, a craft brand with a chef that's got such a strong connection to the indigenous ingredients is that when you do get to that point, it's uh, it's quite straightforward, right? In terms, of it, it all f- comes together with with menu and uh, and what the place would be about. And and I know it would have some of the best food you're going to have in any brew pub anywhere with with all respect to all the others. And on a more serious note, like I would love to see the next generation of hospitality workers out there, Indigenous uh, mob as well, whoever's out there. Like we've got a beautiful, beautiful 
product in this in the in Australia. And I would love to see our product even garnished. Like you know, you, you've got all these beautiful foods, and that might be present presentation and stuff like that might be going in that French cuisine or different ways. But imagine some beautiful Indigenous art on the plates, garnished right with the with some young enthusiastic young chefs from different parts of Australia that First Nation being able to celebrate their own art style on plates with food mm. i mean it'd just be fantastic to see that and that's what i'd love to see the next generation of hospitality workers doing for australia as well for a first nation culture and then obviously we're matching so many different ingredients <laughs> that's one whole uh rabbit hole that i've not unfortunately been able to go down because beer and food is my great great passion and i think it's one of the great lost opportunities for the craft beer world for a variety of reasons. But I think that if we started that, uh, we could get a whole other conversation. So I'm going to put a pin in that one and come back to you, Dale. And uh, I have been, I have really noted your passion for food as well and uh, your discussion of flavour. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll put a pin in that one and come back to it at, at a later date. But I think there'll be a very solid conversation there. Yeah. So uh, Dale Vicali and uh, Adam Murphy, thank you very much for joining for this conversation. Fascinated to watch, uh, Jared. Actually, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to trying it. I'm going to have to get up to Noosa to, to try the beer. Um, but uh, all, all the very best uh, for Jared Boy, and uh, we, we watch with great interest as uh, as it goes along. And hopefully, we'll all get it on our, our national airline or or somewhere else uh, very very soon. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Appreciate your time, mate. It's uh, really humbled that I've got a lot of, so much support with Jared Boy and people like Adam and other mob that are out there that are really you know celebrating this this opportunity and um yeah if, if you flick me an email with some personal details i'll send you some a pack of jaraboy down there mate you won't have to come up here if you can't make it <laughs> oh well i'm just in brisbane so it's not too far to go and it gives me a good excuse but uh i, I might take you up on that but uh guys thank you very much for your for your, for your time in this uh, great conversation thanks for having us thanks guys that was dal vicali and adam murphy if you'd like to find out more about the podcast or chat about this conversation, you can join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search for Radio Brews News and use the password Soapbox. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by sponsoring the show, reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service, or emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts or guest suggestions. Don't forget, we'll be back on Friday morning with our discussion of the news of the week on Brews News Week. Otherwise, we'll see you next week for another great conversation about beer.